and welcome to Retro Game Audio. My name is Patrick. And I'm Steve. And what are we talking about today, Steve? Today we are talking about Konami's VRC6 sound expansion for the Nintendo Famicom, a microchip that brought enhanced audio into the three games that it was used in. Uh, that's right. It was used in the original Japanese version of Castlevania 3, and also two Famicom exclusive titles, Madeira and Esper Dream 2. And so the VRC6 is what's known as a mapper. It wasn't just for expansion audio, it actually handled a bunch of tasks. Yeah, a mapper is more properly known as an MMC, which stands for Memory Management Controller. Uh, these are chips that are found inside the game cartridges themselves uh, and extend the capabilities of the Famicom uh, and the NES. And as I learned from Wikipedia, the name of Mapper actually comes more specifically from the age of emulation, uh, where the code created to emulate these chips are referred to as mappers. I'm sure some listeners probably have experienced digging through some NES ROMs and older emulators especially, Ugh. and having the issue where certain games wouldn't load or it just gives you kind of something, exactly these words, Mapper not supported. Right, right. Um, yeah, God, so irritating. <laughs> uh, that's because there are over 100 different mappers that are required to uh, run a lot of these games as well. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, the core mappers were emulated pretty early on, but sometimes some of the more com complicated ones took uh, more time to get down. So that that's why that was a common error you'd run into. I mean, even with the power pack, uh, the NES uh, flash cartridge, there are updates to it. Um, so, you know, and I include more mappers. So we're still discovering more as we go. Right. Um, and yeah, I think a good way to understand the importance of mappers in NES games is to think about the difference between the original Super Mario Brothers and Super Mario Brothers 3. Right, like Super Mario Brothers 3 was a much bigger game, it had a lot more assets, and the screen was able to scroll left, right, diagonally, and so on. So, um, And the reason for this is because Super Mario Brothers didn't have a mapper, while Super Mario Brothers 3 used the uh, MMC3 chip. It, and it's it's interesting just to kind of point out here that like we kind of take and I think I've said this in other episodes we kind of take for granted that certain things can scroll diagonally, right? <laughs> you know, and like mappers made that possible. The NES in itself doesn't have that capability, uh, and I think that that's just something. It's kind of you know like when you fly as Mario and you try and you're you know uh, you get Raccoon Mario and you start flying, that's something that the MMC three allows. Yeah, that's not something that the uh, you know two A O three by itself can do. Um, so, like I was like, kind of to that point, these mappers enhance these games by allowing things like switching memory banks to improve graphics, performance, etc., etc., etc. There's a good overview on Wikipedia of what different mappers are, what they allowed, what noteworthy games use them. You know, it, it's something you should definitely check out if you'd like to know more. Uh, we'll put that in the show notes right here. Yeah, and uh, what makes these mappers relevant to this podcast is how some of them also produced additional channels of audio. Um, this is our second episode about a type of Famicom sound expansion. We already discussed the Famicom Disk Systems audio, um, but something we skipped over in that episode was how the expansion audio was actually routed through the system. Uh, because it's funny to think about like extra audio coming from inside the game cartridge itself, you know, like when in the end it's really coming out of the TV or speaker that you've uh, hooked the console up to. So if you've ever compared cartridges for the Nintendo Famicom and the NES, you've seen that the Famicom cartridges are wider 
uh, more sh- and kind of more shaped more like a, a, an SNES cart, for lack of a better term. Yeah. This means that the pin connectors on the Famicom and the NES are laid out differently. And not only are they kind of have a different layout, but the NES is missing the connector that makes the sound expansion possible. Yeah, there's a connection. No, I was looking at like a label like of the, mm-hmm. the pin connections, and there's one labeled as audio to RF which goes directly to the sound output of the console. And it's pin number 46 on the Famicom. But like you just said, it's not there on the NES at all. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the reason we don't have uh, any NES games with uh, extra audio in them. Which is, I mean, there is a way to mod the NES to support sound mm-hmm. expansion now. Um, Steve, I think you've did this to your console, right? Yeah, I, I did. There's a, sp- a specific mod, um, the Power Pack. Uh, Flash cart for uh, NES is capable of playing expansion audio by doing a very simple mod where you go to the 2A03 and, uh, and mod pin 3 to pin 9, I believe, off the top of my head. It is literally like the easiest mod. I can't even tell you how much I was shaking while I did it, but it's just like putting what it's like really simple. I'll link that here too. Yeah, I remember seeing like an image of it. I had uh, my mm-hmm. friend Joey help me do it to my NES a while back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like if I was reading a tutorial, I could have done it myself with like no, oh, yeah. no experience like manipulating electronic devices uh is literally taking one little thing and soldering it to two points on your board yep. and uh and it, it lets sound expansion work on the nes you know if I, I, yeah i believe it was like a resistor i'll, I'll yeah. make sure we link it here but it was like one of the very first mods i ever did and i can i can just remember shaking and like i was literally shaking <laughs> and when i was looking up like the pin connections online i was reading about and like different mappers and all that sort of stuff I think someone has since made a device that you can plug into the external port on the bottom of the NES mm-hmm. so that without modding your NES, it'll work. The sound expansion from the power pack will work. Yeah. Which is cool. I, I mean, I've never seen that. Um, I but... think because I, I'm not sure if that because the power pack does a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that in order to mod it to actually play expansion audio, there's a couple other things you have to do that are a little bit more complicated than that. And I've seen other modding procedures. Like if you wanted to get an actual cart with the cart adapter to, you know, because you can get a Famicom right. cart adapter that was included for some reason in some old games because they were so lazy. They literally put Famicom carts inside the NES cartridges. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, and, that's right. Yeah. What, what was one of the common cartridges like they asked you to look in? Was it like gyromite or something like that? I think it was gyromite. Yeah, and then you can open up, and they're like they actually just connected the Famicom cartridge to this adapter, so you can actually you can either buy one online or you can buy a copy of Gyromite and open it up, and there you go, you get one for free basically. Right. Um, yeah, if the copy of Gyromite weighs more, like that's a way to tell like yeah. if it's going to be in there. <laughs> Gyromite's not like the greatest game anyway, so um, I, I wouldn't. You know, I hate destroying old tech, but like you know, it's that it, it, if you want a yeah. free. Yeah, um, but yeah, there's a couple of different ways to do it. Uh, the power pack is a very specific way, so we'll link some of the different methods here. Um, yeah, we'll, uh, there's, there's we'll, tons. Yeah. We'll we'll do like an episode on system mods for like enhancing audio later on. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think we can do we can do a whole episode on that. Yeah, so we'll just like I said, we'll just link a couple things here, and we'll we'll continue on to the history of the VRC six. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, you know, as I always end up doing in these episodes, I'm going to bore us a little bit with the history behind here. And thankfully, there's not terribly a lot. Like, there's not a lot here. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so I guess the first thing uh, to think about a bit is that the very idea of expansion audio wasn't necessarily novel. Uh, in our episode about uh, the Sega Master System, we saw Sega produce a module that attached uh, a, a YM two four one three to the Mark III, adding extra channels. 
Right, and like uh, Konami themselves, with the MSX computer, also began to experiment with these ideas. Um, they came up with something called the Konami SS or SCC Sound Custom Chip. Yeah, and it, it basically, you know, it, it's very similar. It's it's kind of a chip that's on board that kind of does a very similar function as the VRC6. So Konami is already setting this idea that they, they kind of do these certain kinds of things, you know. Um, uh, and so this was included for the very first time in an MSX computer uh, game in 1987, an F1 Spirit. Uh, if I'm wrong about this, I'm a track man is going to kill me, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he'll be the one to correct me on this. But I saw that on Snatcher. Uh, on, there's a translated thing of the Snatcher STC Memorial Joint Disc Translation. It's like a little disc or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it says they interviewed and said the very first game to use it was the F1, it was F1 Spirit. So huh, interesting. I, I think I'm right. point is i mean like i said konami's kind of into this idea that we can create sound modules and we can add sound to different cartridges i mean that's um, that's cool but it's sort of like what's the incentive you know i mean would that be more expensive i mean i guess did they just care that much about the audio i mean and that's something it's a question that i've always wondered and uh, just kind of in collecting and whatnot the second i discovered there was expansion audio i had to ha- own all of the cartridges that had it mm-hmm. but like why like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like today, like that would be like, you know, a lot of our recordings and stuff. I mean, we there's no limitations on how many instruments can be in any given track for any modern game. Right. But back then, I guess it's kind of like there was some kind of arms race, you know, like I remember in the U.S. people buying different sound blaster cards to get different output. Yeah, and it, it was kind of it was kind of a, a big deal, you know, but these cartridges with built in audio cost more, substantially more. Um, and that means that there had to have been some demographic or market of person in Japan at this time who said, I want the best audio I can get. Um, and that's just very different from how we look at things. We, the U.S. had no expansion audio as right. far as we're concerned. So what, how would we have reacted? What, what is something that's a parallel to that for us? You know? Yeah, I'm not um, sure. I mean, we, there are like talks, like one thing I could think of off the top of my head. Remember how like video game magazines back in the day would be like, Oh, this Super Nintendo game has 16 megabytes. Like it's right. a giant Super Nintendo game, and it's like a lot of companies were touting how big their cartridges were to say that we were able to put that much data in there. Is it kind of that same idea with the I th- audio? I think so. I mean, if we if you can find ads out there for these games that like advertise having the extra audio, like if it's a thing that they could use to promote their game to try and like get an edge on the competition, mm-hmm. uh, it, it seems like that could be a reason to do it. I mean, I have a lot of the. Uh, the Famicom boxes for these original games and whatnot. In the back, it does say like expansion audio or a beautiful soundtrack or, you know, they are using that as a hook for purchasing. And mm-hmm. was it maybe something that these guys were using as a distinction, you know, to actually say, hey, you know, our, we offer this extra expansion audio um, and this is something our competitors don't. So buy our game. Right. I mean, I, but it, to me, it's like, okay, so I'm going to spend, you know, cartridges like after you know yen conversion rate six sixty bucks or so you know mm-hmm. give or take so I'm going to spend eighty to and the VRC seven I think was like it was over a hundred dollars oh wow so, which is the other Konami chip um so like but why would you do that like what's your motivation just to enjoy while you're playing that game you know um I just think I just think it's interesting and I, it's something that I don't know who can answer I've never heard anyone answer that before like right. what was the point of this as opposed to yeah we did it which is what I always hear from people. 
Yeah. Um, there was an opportunity where they did get a chance to, uh, I guess, interview uh, one of the creators of it. Oh, uh, yeah. I think yeah. you found mm-hmm. an in- interview that uh, Jeremy Parrish conducted yep. mm-hmm. um, with uh, Hidenori Mezawa. He's like the composer of Contra, lead composer. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently he's the creator of the VRC6, or at least one of the you know designers of it. Yeah, here, here's what I had to say, and it's a little bit... Uh, I'll, I'll read exactly what it said from the article, sure. and we'll attach it here as well, because there's a great interview about Contra and other games as well. Mezawa, just to hear from Mezawa is kind of great. So, one up, you know, they one up basically had asked them before something about the VRC6, and Mezawa in English literally said, I made, like, I made it. All right. And then, so here's kind of where it comes up from there. So, one up asks, um, You made the VRC6? And Mezawa says, There are the waves for sound. With Famicom, there are three types of waves. Square, triangle, and sawtooth, and you were able to use each of these for the three channels. But with the VRC6, you could add additional three channels for a total of six notes, six channels. I was actually the one who developed the chip. Of course, there were many other technical people who put the parts together, but I was involved in the design. A chip is small, but the prototype is huge. I think the chip was first used in Akumajo uh, Densetsu, uh, which was Castlevania Three in America. It's funny, a little thing to pick out in there. He mentioned that the NES had a square, uh, triangle, and sawtooth. Um, I guess it might be a translation error or just a, a sort of slip um, that comes up in discussion a lot is the the triangle I think is sometimes confused for a sawtooth channel. Um, I know I've heard other developers like offhand m- mention the NES having a sawtooth, but uh, yeah, it doesn't really. Yeah, we, we were saying like off, uh, you know, off the podcast a little bit when we were discussing that it's interesting because a lot of other people have said that it had a sawtooth too. Yeah. And I think that it, it's kind of interesting that that is a reoccurring theme yeah that there was this impression it did so that that's part of the, an interesting part of the history and you know again like uh, like patrick was just saying it could be translation there's a bunch of things that could be at play here and i don't expect someone to remember exactly what they did in the, like you know, especially when they wor- worked on a bunch of different technical things <laughs> yeah mean, it's if, like... you see, if you see mezawa's like list of things he's worked on it's like you know three pages printed so yeah but i just think it's interesting that you know again here's another person who mentions the sawtooth and the famicom didn't have it yeah um so and you know, and it's 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 great because we get to hear a little bit on this chip. And since you know, we kind of all understand, at least in the chiptune community and, and audiophiles of you know uh, Famicom, know what it sounds like. Um, it's good to hear just a little bit of the history, although we really don't know terribly much about it right. itself. I think, yeah. So I guess we should move on to talk about what the VR6 was actually capable of in terms of audio. Um, okay. Like from the interview we just listened to, Mezawa mentioned it offered three extra channels of audio. So it was three channels of audio. It had two pulse wave channels and a saw, uh, sawtooth wave channel as well. And what makes these pulse uh, wave channels interesting compared to the regular Famicom is they have more duty cycles available, so more variation. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it, we were talking about the sawtooth before. Here's where it's finally added in. So, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And as, as we've discussed in previous episodes, the NES can produce four different duty cycles, though mm-hmm. two of them sound the same, uh, giving you three possible voices. So there's two rectangle waves and one square wave, uh, and they're more accurately known as 12.5%, 25-75%, and 50%. Um, here's what they all sound like playing the same note. The VRC6 instead offers eight duty cycles. Um, it includes identical sounding versions of the duty cycles we just heard, leaving us with a total of five new voices. So they're rectangle waves, so you know, of rectangular design waves, with duty cycles of 6.25, 18.75, 31.25, 37.5, and 43.75. Again, these are the new duty cycles that we're able to get, in addition to the 12.5, 25, 
and 50. And so these sound like this. And there's also the sawtooth channel, which is a fixed sound you can't do much with, uh, but unlike the triangle wave, it does have volume control, and uh, it's typically used for bass lines. And I think it's kind of interesting that the sawtooth finally pops up here, and what I mean by that is um, when you look at like classic analog synthesizers, the sawtooth is everywhere. You look mm -hmm. at like presets on an old analog synthesizer, yeah. you're going to see square wave, sine wave, sawtooth, triangle, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's on everything. Yeah. When you look at classic video game consoles and the different sound channels they offer, uh, the sawtooth is like nowhere to be found, right? I mean, like you have mm -hmm. systems that have wavetable synthesis, so yeah. and those you could draw a sawtooth with. And mm -hmm. uh, there's sometimes just certain tricks you can get to like force a sawtooth out, like the NES sample channel uh there's like mm -hmm. one game uh the immortal that has yep. a uh, oh, yeah. sawtooth like sample in there um but as far as like a dedicated sawtooth channel like you also have a square wave and a triangle wave i can't think of any other examples at all no i i think yeah it's interesting because i think like let, let's think about the uh in kind of in terms of what kinds of styles that we have of different kinds of chips a lot of them are all kind of based off like or z80 or uh you know just kind of processors that kind of are equivalent of a psg i guess yeah um and i think that that might have something to do with it maybe but like i just it's very interesting because like you know there, like so there is a this is a chip that has sawtooth included but there's no dedicated sine wave chip that i know of Oh you know yeah, that I mean? as well. Again, that's something that's super common on old yeah. Uh, synthesizers. But yeah, yeah. Like, you don't really see it pop up on these systems. And, yeah. and triangle, as far as I'm concerned, on the NES is one of the only dedicated triangle channels. So that's, yeah. it's just a really interesting thing. Like, I guess I'm willing to bet that if we look back in history, it's price. Yeah, probably the pulse waves were, I'm sure, like the easiest, smallest waveform to produce. Um, I, I'm, so. I'm sure there's something to do with, that has to do with price uh, availability. I mean, even just kind of looking at some of the history uh, of just even how the Sega Genesis or even how the Sega Master System was put together, a lot of it was based off what was available on arcade boards, uh, who would allow you to use what chip. Um, you know, I, I wonder if there's any, even in some cases, I was reading this about Sega recently, I was wondering if there was any, like they were worried about trying to put an FM chip in the Sega Genesis because they were worried that companies like Yamaha would think that they were competing with their actual uh, synthesizers. Wow. That's so funny. something like that could be, you know, I, we don't know. There's not very much written about that, but that could be part of it. Like, we'll give you this, but we won't give you that or we're going to lose money. Huh. Um, so I, who knows, you know? Oh, yeah, we should point out that the sawtooth was used for some melodies as well. It wasn't always just used for bass lines. Uh, you can hear it in the name entry track of Castlevania 3. It's called uh, Epitaph. And here's what that voice, uh, the sawtooth voice sounds like by itself, uh, isolated. And so with a better understanding of what the VRC6 added to the audio, just kind of what it provided, I guess, let's listen to some of the music that was made for it. Uh, we'll start out with the big one and one of my favorite soundtracks of all time, uh, Akumajo uh, Densetsu, also known in the U.S. here as Castlevania 3.
It's so cool. It's I great. love that. It's great. <laughs> Uh, I think this is probably the most noteworthy example of sound expansion for the Nintendo Famicom. Um, mm -hmm. You have a great game from a popular franchise with a, a fantastic soundtrack. Uh, you know, it, and it includes this beefed up version of the soundtrack that we didn't have stateside. So um, I think this is pretty much like the first thing that comes to mind when people are discussing expansion audio. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's, it's, oh man, it, it's great to hear the original version. And I think I've mentioned it in previous episode, it's like, this is the very first expansion audio thing I ever heard, um, and it blew my mind because it was just like, why? I feel like cheated, you know. It sounds bigger, <laughs> uh, big and like b bigger and beefier, and just you know, I said I combined bigger and beefier. I, I guess you could call it bigger. That's fine. Bigger, uh, something like that. But it's just way more dense overall, and that sawtooth just provides that punch. It's just like. You know, the triangle wave is, like, so soft and smooth, and it's just to have that, like, crunch, that, like, brutal kind of, like, attack of the sawtooth is just so appreciated here. Um, I think most people will tell you this is the better version of the soundtrack. Uh, you know, there's lots of focus on how we have a watered-down version, uh -huh. and it's, it's very exciting to hear this bigger sound. Um, I personally uh -huh. think the soundtracks are equal in terms of quality. Uh -huh. uh, I know there's some people who ardently prefer the NES 2A03 version. Um, but you know, I think I find myself somewhere in the middle where like on a track by track basis, sometimes I prefer one over the other. No, no, I, I can understand that. I think that it's kind of unfair to say that the two AO three versions better. Um, like by, and cause I think that uh, that might just be a, a situation where people are playing more off the nostalgia of it. I do think I like, I absolutely prefer the original cause I'm kind of a fidelity freak and I like the original fidelity things. Like I'm one of those weirdos who likes the, uh, legend of Zelda, the, the FDS soundtrack better. Um, in compared oh, yeah. to some other people who don't like it because, you know, the, some of the sound effects that are added. Yeah, and well, I think, I, I mean, I can understand the side of the people who prefer the NES version because there mm. is, I think, a bit of a muddiness in the sound in the VRC6 version. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the Sawtooth is, like, on the overbearing side at times. Mm -hmm. um, it's just, like, it's really loud in the mix. It reminds me of the criticism I had for FDS audio where mm -hmm. sometimes, like, it's a little undynamic and just kind of loud. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's not totally undynamic. They they do have volume env envelopes that they use on the Sawtooth channel. Um, but it's just, I mean, I, I have an example here, Aquarius. Uh, the VRC6 version, it just, I think it's hard to argue that the baseline isn't a bit overbearing in it. And yeah, you could hear like the galping doom da da doom da bassline's very just loud in the mix. And the, the NES version does sound pretty plain in comparison, but it has like this tighter, more staccato bassline. And I think mm -hmm. it's just kind of cleaner, nice, nicer sounding. I don't know. I, that's one track where I prefer the NES version. I don't know if you have uh, any thoughts or on that, Steve. I mean, I, it, it it is kind of overbearing. I think it has something to do, honestly, with the, the sawtooth fidelity and bitrate. 
Um, and I think that it kind of comes out there like, you know, it's louder and I think it's just louder in general. <laughs> I think right. it's kind of like the theme of it. Um, you know, even like when you're in family tracker, I, I mean, when I want to bring the hammer, I use the sawtooth <laughs> and, mm-hmm. right. and I put it, I make sure that it's as high as volume setting cause it will drown out everything else. So I wonder if like in, in programming, if, uh, for it, it was just kind of assumed that it could be more like the triangle right. uh, in, in its use. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I should uh, add to that. Um, if you want to compare the the songs and the soundtrack easily, uh, I uploaded the soundtrack to YouTube a bunch of years back. And if you're browsing, you know, on a device that actually will let an, uh, annotations display, um, there's like an annotated link that'll pop up in each video, letting you swap back and forth uh, between the different versions. So if you're listening to one song, you can listen to the Japanese version easily. Just click on the link. Um, so it's a fun way to listen back and forth. But I did cheat a little bit my upload, though, as you mentioned, where <laughs> I, and I know I didn't normally do stuff like this back, at, you know, when I was uploading to YouTube. But um, I actually did lower the volume of the sawtooth to like maybe just 92 percent or so of its total volume. Um, so I did cheat a little bit. So if, like people have listened to the soundtrack on YouTube before and maybe they're thinking like, oh, the sawtooth isn't that bad or that overbearing. It's like I watered it down a little bit because I felt like just tweaking it down a little bit like improve the soundtrack overall but you know that was just my sort of uh take on it so yeah so sorry yeah i probably like misled people on what that sounds like a bit but yep yep you ruined my life thanks yeah, sorry <laughs> <laughs> uh and anyways of course i should clarify that i'm nitpicking here too because like i really do love the soundtrack both versions of it uh i can easily find a counter example where i think the ripping sawtooth wave makes it sound really really cool so uh here's uh, an example from the track destiny Yeah, so like in that case, like I don't mind that the sawtooth is loud because it just it sounds awesome. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's interesting again. Like I think that it, it parallels kind of how you would use a tri- if you were to write that and you were to write that particular thing and you only had two AO three, you would write the triangle just like that. You just yeah. have to go, you know. But like you get this like actual crunch to it, and I think that like they kind of use that as like a surrogate. Like the, it's not the triangle; it's the sawtooth instead. And I yeah. think that we can hear that there. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about some of our favorite songs from the soundtrack. Um, okay. Overture is one of my personal favorites. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, I think I like both versions equally, uh, but mm-hmm. in the VRC6 version, it's definitely cool hearing the bigger sound. Uh, but just also in general, like compositionally speaking, uh, this track is awesome. Uh, it's mostly an 11-4 timing. I think there are some meter changes like in the middle, but uh, you know, it really tickles mm-hmm. my fancy for like those odd meters. So uh, yeah. yeah, let's give that a listen.
Yeah. Oh yeah, I guess it was in eleven. We were discussing as it was playing. Like uh, it was in eleven the whole time, aside from the very end, it made a little change there. Yeah, there's there's definitely something a little bit mixed there. The field changes, even if it's you know if it's not divided up, it could it could be multimeter. Like you know, it's not just eleven beats directly. So I feel like maybe the mix divides up or something a little bit right. when it repeats. But yeah, de- it definitely feels cool. different. Yeah, I love the groove it has. You know, it's, this is very chill, but like kind of still somewhat of a driving drum beat and just doing that in that 11-4 timing is great it, it's just it's great too because it's just like it's 11-4 it insists on 11-4 and it's just like here you go yep. you know? <laughs> yeah you know? and it's very little like you know there, there's some stuff that are in like kind of mixed meters but it's more progressive rock this is just kind of like a droney like you know the bass line just keeps hitting on the same note the whole time just and like changing a little bit you know going up or down mm-hmm. but it's just kind of like dong 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 and like you can kind of get lost into it oh, i love that track so it's much. great Oh, so yeah, I guess one of my favorites is actually uh, the ending right before the credits. Um, I used to have a video game cover band called Beta Test Music, um, and it was like I made a suite of this music. It, it, you know, I played tuba on it, and I played all the bass lines exactly how the Sawtooth played it, which was ridiculous. I don't think I should ever have done that, but I did. <laughs> um, <laughs> especially trying to write that, write it out. Like, there's some weird stuff in there. Anyway, one of the greatest things is we had a setup that was all like live instruments. We had clarinet, we had saxophone, we had trombone, we had tuba, we had a drum set, and we had key, uh, piano. And Evergreen, the, se- the the ending theme to this was perfect for that because it is kind of like an orchestral like sounding kind of yeah. sweet. And it's a short little tune, so why don't I'd love to uh, play that for you guys now. Cool. Yeah, let's give it a listen. should point out some of the differences in the soundtracks aside from the obvious okay the nes version isn't simply just missing these extra voices like if you disable the vrc6 voices in the japanese version you wouldn't wind up with the nes soundtrack it had to be rearranged for uh the available sound channels yeah like one major difference is that the triangle channel is never used uh in akumajao densetsu uh i think because they had the sawtooth available they wanted to use that new sound uh, mm-hmm. Like you said before, like they, they, they just it was like the new triangle for them, basically. Yeah, uh, but uh, probably a little bit more enticing just because of the new sound and that it had some dynamic control, um, which, you know, I was saying before, I think it would have been great if they figured out how to dial it back a bit or, you know, mix it in a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, you can hear dynamics in there that uh, aren't in the baselines for Castlevania three. A good example would be uh, the track called Nightmare, where you can hear the uh, undynamic baseline in the U.S., followed by the Japanese version with volume fades.
Yeah, you can hear the pulsing bass lines uh, in there. It just sounds good. Actually, I love what we had it fade out there after it built up a bit more. Again, mm -hmm. that's a part where I definitely prefer the VRC6 version of the soundtrack, just because those chords sound really evil. It has like a darker sound to it. It fits the atmosphere of that level too, uh, I think, which is kind of great. Um, so yeah, no, uh, I that's one of my favorites. And it's weird because like, you know, there's not many things that I can think of in the, the Konami world that don't have like some kind of heavy percussion going the entire time. Like think of any of the Turtle soundtracks. Right. So to have something that's kind of just like eerie and foreboding without drums is kind of great. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think there's also just one example of a track that has a different song format, right? Mm -hmm. I know we've talked about this before off podcast, but the in Riddle, the NES version... They both start off with an intro, but then once they have their looping section, it goes mm -hmm. A, B, A, B, A, you know, mm -hmm. forever in the NES version, while the Japanese version loops the first section before going on. So it has like an mm -hmm. A, A, B, A, A, B format instead. Yeah, man. I, both of the both versions of that track, I think I like it equally. They're awesome sounding. Um, no, yeah, I, that's like one of my favorite tracks from it. I, I love the I love the B section the best. Like it just oh, like yeah. yeah, just like dun, every dun, instrument. Dun, 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 yeah, it's, just, oh, it's so great sounding in, in the unison. And it's interesting too because like uh, I'm and I'll, I'll go out and live on say this because it, it works in Family Tracker. Um, a lot of something something that you can do. Um, on Family Tracker, and it, I mean, it played off the console, so I'm not sure if it's something that was necessarily used here. Um, you can go to lower, you can actually go to lower pitches than uh, on the 2AO3. The 2AO3 kind of bottoms out around A is at zero, A mm -hmm. and zero in Family Tracker. And so you can go down to C is at zero on ah, uh, interesting. for the sawtooth and things like that to get some really low, crunchy, nasty stuff. So I feel like sometimes uh, some of the tracks in Castlevania take advantage of that on the BRC6. Um, I'd have to look that up to be exactly sure, but I definitely feel like you're, the, a lot of the, the VRC6 soundtrack versus the 2AO3 soundtrack emphasizes the ability to get lower and crunchier and louder. Mm -hmm. um, I, and I think that that's kind of the theme. Something I was wondering about the song format, though, uh, I mean, that has nothing to do with the VRC6, the song mm -hmm. format, AB versus yeah. AAB. Yeah. Uh, so is that just like a mistake? When they ported the soundtrack, or just one like I mean, because it really does not affect the song quality at all to change the the format. I think both versions of the song work just fine. 
Um, but it is a very strange thing to change. I, and I can't imagine that it takes up any extra space because it's just the same material played again. Yeah. Because it would just be triggering that pattern. That's interesting. I wonder. I wonder if that was just something that was not foreseen. I mean, I, I, I'm willing yeah. to bet that they they didn't realize when whoever was coding it. And I actually, I, I, we were kind of talking about it off, but offline. Mezawa didn't code this for the NES version, so he didn't have anything in the interview to say about the actual uh, conversion from the VRC6 to the two AO3 ah, version. Okay. Um. So. You know, I we there, we don't really know why it's A B A B A instead or instead of A A B A B et cetera. Et yeah, cetera. they could have just missed a flag maybe that told that section to loop. You know. Yeah, uh, I wonder. I wonder if it might be something that's even in the code that didn't that just didn't trigger or something. Who knows? Huh. You know. Yeah, and so of course when you have less sound channels, uh, there's like little melodies and details that have to be cut when porting the music over. Um, there's lots of little moments like that, but one of the ones we want to highlight was from the track called Stream. Let's listen to a little bit of the NES version. So you can hear this part being hinted at, but in the VRC6, it uses one of the normal pulse channels plus one of the VRC6 pulse channels to harmonize on this little melody. Here's what it sounds like together. You can hear a distinct part missing from the NES version. God, that sounds so good. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I, that's, <laughs> I, I think that's a fun thing to point out. That's like, you know, the advantage of having more channels that I know, really I know. shows there. Um, so a very minor difference between the two soundtracks is that while they both use samples for some of the percussion uh, and the same samples at that, uh, some of the ones used in the VRC6 version are a little bit higher quality. Uh, which is kind of funny because that's not a, con a contribution of the VRC6 audio itself. I mean, that's not part of what the VRC6 is audio's capability does. The sample playback is coming from the normal sample channel that the NES has. So. Yeah. And when you keep in mind that the MMC chips serve other functions as well, and the NES version didn't have the VRC6, it had the MMC5 chip, which was another very advanced mapper, but probably not quite as advanced as the VRC6. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it seems possible to me that they had to save a bit of room somewhere, and I think just trimming down some of the samples was probably their way of doing it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know for sure that that's the reason, but I can imagine them ha having to save some room somewhere. So, mm -hmm. for example, the uh, bass drum sample is 17 bytes in size in the NES version, while it's 65 bytes in the Japanese version. Um, so I've isolated the sample and noise channels so you can hear the drum beat from the name entry tune, uh, Epitaph. Here's the VRC6 version. And here's the NES version. No, it's interesting because yeah, I, I feel like your hypothesis about the the size uh, is something that it's probably true, and it, it's interesting too because you know it, it, the I guess the other theory I can have is maybe they discovered they could get the same effect with less bytes and only a little bit less fidelity because thinking about that, that's kind of a, that's actually a decent amount of size of room perhaps. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that it, it's interesting. It's something that until you had, uh, we'd been preparing for this episode, I didn't actually know that was different. Right. Um, and it's cause like, you know, when we use family tracker, um, a lot of times we like to steal our favorite drums. Um, and I, I want to, I know I have Castlevania three's drums. I don't know if I stole them from uh, Japan or from the NES cause that would actually make a difference. 
Yeah, I noticed it when I prepared uh, a sample pack um, for use in FamaTracker. Like, I spent some time like uh, making this organized list and uh, collection of samples from these games. And uh, yeah, I just noticed that the some of the Japanese samples were larger. And as I recall, when I compared them, I think it was larger literally in the sense that just like the tail end uh, is chopped off for some of the NES samples. So, um, yeah. so I think that I th- I believe they're all the same source samples. They're just shorter. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's, that was a good look at Castlevania 3, you know, pointing out some of the differences between the versions. Um, and like I said before, again, if you want to check out, uh, I'll post a link in the show notes to my YouTube upload, my YouTube playlist, because you can easily swap uh, between the two soundtracks and give them a listen. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so we also mentioned that there are two other uh, Konami games that use a VRC6 and it's expansion, uh, expansion audio, and that would be uh, Moryu Senki Madara and Esper Dream 2. Um, so why don't we play a couple of our favorite tracks from that? Uh, yeah, these, I guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, easily one of my favorite VRC six tracks is NSF Track Two from Madeira. Um, it's incredibly catchy, and something I like about the sound design is how you have this quiet pulse wave voice in the background. Mm-hmm. It sustains these long notes, and it's something you wouldn't have room for. You wouldn't dedicate an entire sound channel for that when you consider the full melody. So uh, here's that voice by itself. And, uh, you know, like, by, so by itself, without out of context, like, you'd think that would be a strong melody, but it's actually just playing back mostly on volume two. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's very buried in the mix. So I think it's a really cool thing that you can afford to do when you have more sound channels. So let's uh, just give a listen to the full track uh, and keep an ear out for that voice in the background. It sounds great. Yeah, that, that track is awesome. Um, I guess, like, uh, it, it, the other track that I can remember is from the NSF would be track seven, uh, I think, from Madara. Yeah, I think that was that's probably my favorite track. Yeah, something I really like in that track is there's cool echo effects in the background. I mean, Castlevania 3 has a bunch of them too, um, yeah. but it, it's, it sounds nice in this track. 
Yeah, and you can tell that they're getting. I mean, so uh, Castlevania Three is 1989, and this is 1990. So this is the second of the the you know the three uh, VRC six tracks, and you can tell that they're getting more adept at using it. And you know, maybe some a lot of what we heard with the the VRC six's sawtooth being too loud had something to do with inexperience with it. But you can definitely tell that there's like some nicer volume envelopes being executed here. Um, and it really kind of shows and that kind of segues uh, perfectly into Esper Dream 2, which was from 1992. So they had even more time to work uh, kind of with this chip and, and polish it. Oh, yeah, you can you can absolutely hear the difference. Uh, we're going to play Esper Dream track three. Uh, in this one in particular, the drums have more punch to them. They stand out more. Uh, I think just everything's better mixed. So it definitely seems like they had more experience from the two games before, you know, figuring out how to use the sawtooth exactly. Because um, I think this is the best production um, that they had with the VRC6, you know, the, the last and final game they made for it. Yeah. Uh, let's give that a listen. Yeah, it sounds like like the snare and stuff, I think, stand out in the mix more. Like in Castlevania 3, if you listen to the drums again, they're more buried in the mix. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another track I really like is track 9. Let's uh, just mm-hmm. give that a listen. So that was that was a pretty happy track, uh, and oh, Patrick, I know that you're not a huge fan of happy tracks, as we said before. Yeah, it's kind of uh, funny that I picked that one. I guess it's great sounding. Yeah, yeah, no, it sounds great, but you know, maybe we should pick something that's a little moodier and darker, like kind of the speed you like. So, how about uh, track thirteen uh, from Esper Dream Two? Sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's yeah, the sort of thing I like normally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think I also picked out one more track from it that okay. I want to share. There's uh, track 17. Okay. And it's funny. I would keep saying like just random track numbers uh, because I haven't really played through this game. I, I believe there is a fan translation somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, I'm more familiar with this just from looking up the NSF files. So yeah, uh, I, I don't actually know the in-game context. But, I, I uh, think that it, it helps if like anyone wants to download the NSF. We're telling you the ones we liked off the NSF, and I think that that you know 
that's yeah. a good way to we can communicate with everyone because people have like different names for these because of the translations anyway. Yeah. And some of the stuff we've been doing doesn't have official soundtrack titles anyway. So we figured that's the easiest way to transmit to right. you guys, the audience. Castlevania three being the exception because at least that one has an in-game sound test with song yeah, titles. It does. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah. but anyways, yeah, here's uh track seventeen from Esper Dream Two. man that is so konami sounding yeah that's like konami core like yeah. that's, that's ridiculous it's, it sounds like you, you could just throw that in like as a boss track in a castlevania game and no one would notice yeah you know, or be... if you played that for anyone who's played any nes games you're like oh this must be from some konami game i'm not sure yeah um. exactly <laughs> and so steve you were talking a bit earlier about how you know why we don't really know uh, what the motivation or drive was to make these more expensive games just to, mm-hmm. ha- to have like better audio and stuff yeah um you know because again this is around the time that the other systems well 92 you already had 16-bit consoles out yeah um you know so they took the time to design this chip only used it in three games uh there's also the vrc7 which we'll talk about in another episode only used it in one game yeah um so it's kind of crazy right like no yeah it, it, i don't know if it was maybe because they're trying to compete with the new consoles i mean we got we get the sega mega drive in 88 we get the uh super nintendo like kind of around 90 you know 90 ish so like the like castlevania 3 comes out a year after the mega drive and these other two games come out after the super nintendo and like yes the nintendo enjoyed a pretty good life uh, life after the Super Nintendo, probably 95, they were still making games until, like, off the top of my head, or, like, games that we know of, basically. You know, Mega Ma- the Mega Man series was still kind of going at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still just really interesting because, like, w- what's the motivation of just making a sound chip that you put on three games? Is it that, like, maybe they thought they'd use it on more, and the Super Nintendo and, uh, like, you know, Sega and Nintendo released another me- medium and they have to react to it? Um, is it, it's, it, it's just like, there's a lot of questions about this and yeah. I feel that there's only a couple people who know the answer and I, like, you know, who, who actually worked on these things, like who probably worked for Konami saying we need to make this for some particular reason, but I, I, I just, it's hard for me to figure out in the history of all of this, it's cool. why these were made. I think know? it's cool because I mean, it shows that someone cared about the quality, you know, even mm-hmm. if there's like a marketing aspect yeah. to it as well i mean seven, someone was definitely pushing for like no we, we can make this sound cooler we can make this higher quality mm-hmm. um kind of sad to you know thinking today about konami um how they've sort of went in the opposite direction and uh yeah you know that's a whole other subject of discussion we don't really know all the internal details of konami yeah. but they're, they're pushing more today to do like mobile games and sort of mm-hmm. downplaying their franchises it seems so yeah um you know but yeah at one point in history they seemed like really dedicated to put out uh, a quality game You know, it's just hard for me, like, also knowing these companies and knowing that they are businesses and, like, that there wasn't some kind of motivation to it. And and I know that, like, you you talk, they talked to some of the guys at Capcom who had, like, altruistic values on here that they wanted to create a great product. And, you know, Inafune and some of those guys were really into a great product. Um, you know, and so I wonder if that's, you know, is that the motivation and what was the, the economic thing behind this? Was this someone at Konami saying, Hey, I'd love to make this chip. I'd love to sell this to people. Cause I believe it's great. You know, will you, will you let me do this? Cause I have good faith 
even know that it costs more money. You know, if, those are things yeah. that we don't have the answer for. You yeah. know, and if someone it, said, it, I wish you know, we did. You know? Yeah, if someone was saying yes to that, if yes was their answer, which I guess I mean it had to be because they were yeah. made. Uh, yeah. You know, that's pretty damn cool. Um. So yeah, of course. Uh, so the VRC six, I think, is the most popular form of sound expansion um, for the NES. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people like using it today. And Steve, you have a particular fondness for it. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's funny because almost everything that I've written uh, that's on any of uh, my EPs as APOC is all VRC6. Yeah. Um, for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah. So uh, actually the opening theme for our show, uh, it's from an album of yours. It wasn't written for the show, um, but yeah. I, I wanted to use it as our theme because I really like it. Mm-hmm. And uh So, yeah, we never play more than the opening. Let's just play a bit more of that track uh, right now. So I guess I, I should ask, what what makes the VRC6 enticing to you over some of the other um, sound expansion uh, chips? I, I really feel like, so one of the chips that I kind of used before when I was experimenting was the MMC5, which we haven't talked about here, but it, it gives you some extra channels. It gives you two pulse wave channels that are identical to the two AO3. Um, and that's okay, but that's the same kinds of sounds that you already have. Having a sawtooth is kind of more natural, kind of, uh, it, and it has a buzzier sound, so it stands out. Um, it also can get really loud and overpowering, which I kind of like. Um, it's interesting, too, because like I find that it's really nice to pair the sawtooth with the triangle, because the triangle can kind of be your sub-bass, like if you're thinking of composition. Or or you can use the triangle for melody, etc., etc., which is something that the Konami guys actually didn't do. Yeah, um, and I, yeah they I didn't touch they, the triangle, right? They never touched it, and I assume that there's plenty of reasons why they didn't. Um, one being that I think they treated the sawtooth like the triangle, and I think that there was some effort to maybe circumvent it, um, you know, because it, it's kind of you can't use volume envelopes on it and the kind of stuff we uh, used to talked about in the past. Um, I guess I just really like it for that purpose, you know, mm-hmm. having the extra two pulses is it's more natural to me. Having three channels is sometimes limiting. Uh, and my background mostly was writing music for like brass quintets and like four or five people. Mm-hmm. So to have, you know, at least six channels makes me feel a little bit more comfortable, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you can use a lot of the other channels as a crutch. It's so much harder for me to write. And I think any, a lot of people would agree. It's very hard to write effective 2A, 2A03 only music uh, that stands on its own. That doesn't sound like it's from a video game. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think with the VRC6, it's just kind of has a built-in. Like, if you're thinking of piano chords, you can put six fingers down on the piano. 
Uh, right. And maybe seven if you use, uh, you know, sample channel for, uh, you know, Sunsoft bass or something. Mm-hmm. And so that's closer to what it should sound like on a piano or something like that. So I guess that was always my reason for using it. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I'll link in the show notes just to that entire album that that track is from. Um, yeah. And also just your music in general under the handle APOC because we, we don't really plug it. We don't talk much about what we do. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, that's worth plugging now, especially because it's a very good example of VRC6 music. Oh, thank you. Cool. <laughs> so it, it's funny because, uh, you know, I use a VRC6 and something I can't neglect to mention here because it's probably one of the best VRC6 soundtracks or albums or collections of VRC6 tracks ever made is uh, Vert or Jake Kaufman's uh, Shovel Knight soundtrack, which uh, is... yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I almost forgot. Yeah, that the Shovel Knight soundtrack is complete. It's VRC six. Yeah, um, and it, it's it's pretty amazing. It's kind of yeah. funny to get this far into the episode and fail to mention that like an actual recent game used the sound chip. Uh, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. Um, and I think that's a he makes a really good use of the uh, sound chip because um, that sort of overbearing sound where like it it sort of covers the other NES channels uh, mm-hmm. isn't an issue in his soundtrack. He definitely plays down the volume a bit of the VRC six channels and it mixes a lot better so like at a quick glance at a very you know cursory listen it, you might mistake it for just normal nes music mm-hmm. um but then once you listen more closely you can hear the extra voices in there and you're like oh yeah this is vrc6 he, he take he takes a lot of what um he, he, ever we've all kind of learned since 1992 i guess yeah and applies it i mean because that you gain the benefit of all of Alberto Gonzalez's techniques and everyone's different techniques on different chips that are similar and kind of combining it. So yeah, it, it's like a homage to Konami, but it's also like new and fresh sounding. And I think that that's what's kind of amazing about it. Oh yeah. Um, and it, it, uses, it utilizes every trick we know and it utilizes it the right way. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's very few things that I can say do that in chiptune in general. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Let's uh, give some of that a listen.
Um, yeah, so, I mean, uh, Shovel Knight soundtrack is fantastic. We'll link to the yep. Bandcamp. You can download it. I think it's a Name Your Price download. Um, yeah, it's, right now it is, yep. <laughs> oh, cool. So, yeah, you can get it for free if you want, or you can, you know, throw some money his way to support him because he makes, yep. uh, you know, excellent video game music. So. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So I guess that about wraps up uh, everything we wanted to say about the VRC6. Uh, I'm sure there's probably some technical details we missed. We didn't really mention much about the fidelity of the Sawtooth channel. Um, you know, it, ha- it does have more volume settings uh, than mm-hmm. the the just the 15 volumes or 16 volumes technically of like the Square Wave channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's some di- differences in there. You mentioned the pitch, you know, being able to go lower in pitch. So there's yeah. some things like that, but there's nothing really that noteworthy. Uh, the, the biggest thing is that, you know, it's three extra channels, you have a sawtooth, and that you have, uh, you know, pulse wave channels with a bunch more duty cycles, you know, a bunch more yep. voices available. And, you know, that's pretty much all there is to it, so. I would agree. Cool. Uh, so right off the bat, before we read any of our comments, um, we'd like to mention that we're planning on doing an appendix episode to Maniac Mansion. Um, Steve, you actually, you got in contact with George Sanger, um, and, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, he had some great feedback for you. Also shared some really cool stuff with you. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's something we absolutely need to talk about. We also missed something kind of important, uh, you know, the in-game track names. I feel like that was in the comparisons to what people think they were based on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely have to do a brief like follow-up to that episode. So I think we're going to do that next week as an in-between episode. Yeah, I mean, we don't normally do like episodes like every uh, every week, but if we have enough material to probably put something together that'd be kind of nice supplemental, and I think that'll be cool. Yeah, yeah, because definitely, you know, we're getting some great feedback from George Sanger himself, and uh, you know, that he shared this really cool thing with us that we want to share with our listeners. So, um, yeah, that, so stay t- if you enjoyed the Maniac Mansion episode, uh, you know, please stay tuned for next week. There will be a little follow up. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be great. I, I I can't even tell you how excited it is. And thanks again, George, for you know if you're listening. Um, thanks again for uh, responding back to my email out yeah. of the blue. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We'll get into the comments now on our episode on Maniac Mansion. Uh, and our first comment here comes from Crimson Ghost. I've always loved Maniac Mansion for the NES. The prototype is great because it had all the stuff in it that Nintendo removed for the release. I've also heard that they snuck a lot of stuff in for the first release, but Nintendo got wise to it before the second print run. Huh. I would have to look that up. That's crazy. I didn't know about any of that. Yeah, so uh, apparently and uh, there was... Uh, like there's a couple if you get some of the original cartridges and i there's a couple websites that point out specifically what it is but the very first run has a lot of things that nintendo like was basically discovered and not allowed to be on the second run so there's two different kind of versions of it i think and it's just a couple small things um there are websites that show the complete differences which we can just link here i think oh that's awesome Uh, yeah because i remember seeing what they had cut from the game Mm-hmm. Um, you know, compared to like the original version, I didn't realize though that there was stuff that made it into, you know, maybe I just skipped over or maybe it's cause I read those sites a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't realize that any of the stuff actually made it to some of, so like, are, I wonder if that version of the game is like more expensive, if that's like going to be like, if that's a collector's item in some way. I don't even, uh, is there a way to even tell the t- differences between the two? I'm sure, I'm sure once I post the link here, it'll tell us. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's really interesting. Like, that, like if you have a comic book where there's, like, a weird, faulty original run, like, that's the type of thing yeah. that usually winds up being expensive. And, uh, you know. It, yeah, it, it's kind of like, you know, uh, the differences. Uh, even just, like, when we were talking about Sega Master System, like, there's the original, and then there's, like, 
after Tonka kind of disappeared, there's the blue cartridges, which was Sega's attempt to try to like reinvigorate the brand, but it's like too late, so there's not many blue cartridges. So like, is there something on Maniac Mansion that is, is like the blue label, you know, the, on the cartridges versus the mm-hmm. old Sega Master System? Is there something on there? So I'm sure you know it's interesting, and I wonder if even if you have the ROM, I bet you there's a ROM distinction because the ROM would be different. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, so we had a comment from um, Boy Meets Robot asking about the bass sound. In the Maniac Mansion episode, I played like uh, different characteristics of the audio, and I said there's that particular bass sound mm-hmm. he gets from the pulse wave channels. So he asked, you know, I would love to copy this pulse bass sound. Does anyone have the duty cycle and volume sequences for Famitracker? And actually, I did have that, and I posted a response. You can look at the values in the comments. Um, just as a sort of tangent, though, if anyone's wondering, there's a really fantastic tool called NSF Import. Uh, it's like a modified version of Famitracker that lets you import NSF files. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is very odd because like you can't just import an NSF and have what would essentially be like the source code. You know, you can't get like source code out of looking at the final product of something, right? And um, so everything is not put neatly into instruments for you, um, but it compensates. It just plays the music in the tracker space really fast. And so that every little detail change is like a 60th of a second change. Um, so you can basically just look at like the volume com like column and just look at all the numbers. So you see like a mm-hmm. bunch of 13s, a bunch, you know, 12, 11, 10, you can be like, Oh, that's like what the volume envelope is. So you can yeah. just sort of look at that. It's not pretty to look at because again, it's not very musical where the way music is written in tracker space, usually every line is a 32nd note, 64th note, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not musical like that, but at least it, it, you can just look at every line and turn that back into, uh, in instrument envelope uh pretty easily so um, yeah and it, it's it's pretty accurate i'd say because yeah. like this like it, it the problem is is that it's got to be at actual update speed so sometimes i feel like and i think even you when you've tried to uh, recreate instruments like to create them accurately it, the nsm import doesn't necessarily do that sometimes simply because of the engine speed or yeah sometimes there's some errors uh, i ran into that yeah. with um like fds audio was some, sometimes a little bit weird and yeah, mm-hmm. there can be some quirks, but for I would say like ninety percent of the time, you can get like perfectly accurate recreations. Yeah, ninety percent so, is, is yeah, pretty accurate. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, anything anything fairly simple in sound design, you can nail. Like if you wanted to like recreate like instruments from like Final Fantasy One, that would be super super easy uh, to do with NSF import. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Chris, Christopher Midday Michay, I'm sorry about, I, I probably butchered the last name. Uh, writes to us and says, "Fun fact: Scum used to be slang for semen." Great. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, because we were talking about how uh, the, the censorship in Maniac Mansion and how, um, you know, they, they couldn't use scum in the credits. Um, and I was saying that, you know, the word scumbag comes to mind. But even then, I feel like it's still a funny thing to censor because even back in the day, I don't think semen is the first thing that everyone, you know, that came to yeah. everyone's mind. Um, because, you know, if you think of like Star Wars, like rebel scum, just in general, it, the first thing that comes to mind, it just means trash or someone's yeah, worthless. Yeah. So I, I'm sure there have had to be video game dialogue on the NES and Super Nintendo where like someone calls someone else scum. Mm-hmm. So for that to be censored, I, th- I think, you know, oh, oh, Chipper Kurt was saying in the comments though, that they were calling it NES scum because they're talk- <laughs> like, that's what they're, that's what they're calling the engine, you know, it was a modification, <laughs> modification of the engine for the NES. So that's what they objected to. But like, yeah. Still, it was an acronym. It has two M's in it, so it's uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Whatever, Nintendo. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we have an amazing comment from Hunrusher Geek. We were talking about, like, those terrible uh, ROM hacks. Mm-hmm. I was talking about, like, Super Naked Brothers or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, he says, for courtesy, uh, there is some Mario 3 hack called Super Nazi Penis Cartel Freedom Fighters 3. Or something like that. So... Uh, that says it all. That that says it all. Yep. And see, and those, it, like again, those you know, things like, exist. Uh, yeah, they do. And you know, like I said, I wouldn't put it past fans of, <laughs> but you know, uh, <laughs> uh, fans of Mario, but fans of, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, Hun Retro Geek uh, also pointed out that in um, in response to the interview with David Warhol, where he's talking about how many bits it took to like tell a note to be on and off and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he said this, um, this five bits for note, three bits for duration seems to have been very popular back in the day. Uh, Capcom sound engines use this all the time, for example. It's, I think also, I believe that when I was reading the documentation on the VRC6, it said something similar to that as well. Um, so that must be, you know, it must be something that was very often used. Huh. Yeah, interesting. And uh, again, so, and there's this great feedback from our friend Paul, uh, also known as Chippocrit, um, where, I mean, I'm not going to mention it now in the comments because it's going to be a big part of our appendix episode, follow-up episode, whatever we're going to call it. Um, so, yeah, that, that's just going to be a subject for discussion uh, next week. So Yeah, hopefully we, we can bring that all up and, uh, you know, we'll kind of uh, demystify some of this stuff behind it. So. Yeah, yeah, get get, get the, the important stuff that we missed. Mm-hmm. Cool, yeah, thanks, everyone. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, you know, of course, uh, feel free to leave your notes in the SoundCloud. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Okay, so moving on to Name That Game, uh, let's play what we played in the Maniac Mansion episode. And uh, Steve, who guessed that correctly? No one. Yes, cool. Yeah, yeah we did it. We, we did, did it. it. Yeah, no one got it. Okay, cool. And that was uh, actually Gary's choice. Uh, so mm-hmm. good job, Gary. Um, yeah, thank you, Gary. <laughs> what we're going to do now is we're going to play just another track from the same soundtrack. So um, here you go. See if you can name that game. Well, good luck, everyone. Hopefully that helps. Uh, so I guess we're kind of wrapping it up. We're getting towards the end of year. So do we have a song of the week? Yeah, I want to play another VRC6 track here. Uh, so I picked the closing theme to Esper Dream 2. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a cool, like sort of typical closing ballad, um, but it's just very well composed and it sounds great uh, for the sound chip. So uh, um, here's the ending sequence music to Esper Dream 2. And thank you for listening to Retro Game Audio.